Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Good morning, ladies. Welcome back together. Welcome to everybody who's watching us on live stream. We're going to start us every week with a call to worship, like I said last week. And so uh, today we're going to be reading from Psalm 56, verses 1 through 4. I want you to just listen, and as something jumps out to you, we're going to have just a few minutes of silence. I would like you to turn that into a prayer to the Lord or a meditation, a time to just think on it, and then I'll I'll close that time in prayer. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Oh, sorry. Could y'all hear me? That's way too loud. He's saying it loudly without it. She is someone that you want to get to know. If you haven't, um, Colleen has agreed to share with us this morning. So I'm going to pray for her, and then she's going to start. Join me in praying for our sister. God, would you give Colleen uh, just confidence in you? Would you speak through her to us? We long mm-hmm. to hear from you and you alone. So would you use Colleen to, to share with us this morning? We look forward to what you will teach us, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Good morning, ladies. It's so good to see all of you. Spread out as we are, it's good to see us back in the house of the Lord. Um, in this new period of beginnings, this new school year, this new church study year. Uh, After a period of dark, dark days over the last six months. So it's so good that we're back together. As Amy pointed out last week, Israel had been through a very dark period as well. And even though the story of Ruth that we studied this summer is tucked between the judges and 1 Samuel, possibly as a ray of hope, of coming light, we're told that Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. I'm afraid it sounds a little bit like today, right? The familiarity is striking, and only God, right? But like Ruth, the book of 1 Samuel opens with another very personal story of an insignificant man from an insignificant town 
going on a pretty uneventful journey. But once again, God tucks in this, this story right in the beginning, and it doesn't take very long to see why. The events in the first three chapters of Samuel set the stage for a new beginning in Israel's history. A real pivot point, if you will, from the failing priest of the judges to Samuel, then the transition from no king to King Saul, and ultimately from Saul to David. Of course, you studied this week how Hannah's prayer even foreshadows the ultimate kingdom and our King Jesus. Now that we have that kind of historical framework of the book, I'd like to turn our attention to this amazing story of Hannah in chapter 1. You know, Hannah's pain, it doesn't take long for it to present itself right off the bat. And that's the first thing I want to talk about this morning is Hannah's pain. We're introduced to a man by the name of Elkanah and his two wives, Hannah and Penina, who are traveling to Shiloh to sacrifice and worship. It's obvious from the text that Penina had children and Hannah did not. She was barren, the ultimate shame for women in those days. As one teacher suggested, she wasn't living up to the cultural ideal. Obviously, it was economically beneficial to bear children, and the future success of the family depended on it. So ladies, you get the picture. She didn't measure up. As probably one of maybe many in this room that has dealt with infertility, I can identify with Hannah. Infertility is painful. Every month, every miscarriage, every disappointment, I felt it all just as you probably did. As I was sharing in our group this morning, uh, and I, we talked about who had struggled with that, at least two of the ladies shared that they had str struggled as well. So it's a common theme for us as women because that's where so many of us get our identity. But as this, if this wasn't enough, Hannah's pain was intensified by her rival, Penina, who scripture says provoked Hannah to make her miserable. <laughs> How tragic that this woman's only claim to fame in scripture is, if you will, that she provoked another human being to make them miserable. I'd hate to have that on my epitaph. But in those times, having children was the source of a woman's significance, as I've said before. No children, no significance. That was the thrust of Penina's attacks. Her voice was one of condemnation. How about you guys, you gals? Ever hear that voice? Well, you're just not. Uh, you do not? What? You do that? What adjectives would you fill in here? You're not skinny enough, pretty enough. You don't have kids. You send your kids where? Oh, you're single? Uh, divorced? You live there? Oh, you're a stay-at-home mom? You're not enough. Ever heard those voices? We all have. The world and the devil be very cruel. But gals, it gets worse. <laughs> Elkanah, her own husband, joins in. He sees that his wife is hurting and he tries to fix her. 
Ever had your husband try to do that? In our marriage classes, Joe and I always caution our men to not try to fix their wives, especially when they are in emotional pain. That's material, though, for another day. (laughs) But let's look at what he says. Am I not better than ten sons? You know, it's really hard to imagine that he said that. (laughs) I'm thinking, oh, no, you didn't say that. But we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he probably really did mean well. He even gave her a larger portion to communicate his love and preference for her. But ladies, the effect of his words was not helpful either. Just as Penina communicated to Hannah that you are not enough, I think Elkanah's voice might have communicated another tactic of the enemy. Look over here. I can be enough for you. Have you ever heard that one? The world is always saying, look here, look here, look here. In the temptation to ease your pain of thinking you're not enough, have you, I know I have, ever wondered if more money, nicer clothes, different job, better neighborhood, even more likes on social media, maybe just a little drink after work, an affair, a what? Look over here and you will be enough. Fill in your own blank with those things, those voices that Satan uses to tempt us when we are looking for a way to be enough. But ladies, the next verse is huge. Instead of answering either one of those voices, it says she, I mean, she could have, it says that Hannah arose. Now, what do we do when we rise? Well, we have to put our foot down. And what does it mean if I were to ask you when I say, I'm going to put my foot down? What does that mean? I've had what? I've had enough. I'm putting my foot down. It means we've had enough. And I don't know. It doesn't say. The text doesn't say. It just says that she put her foot down as she arose. But she goes to the doorpost next of the temple and seeks another voice. The Lord's, and she begins to pour out her soul in prayer. Even then, an unlikely voice seems to bring, you guessed it, more condemnation. Unfortunately, as Eli the priest listens to her fervor, he understands her distress as well, even to the point of suggesting that she could be drunk. Sadly, ladies, that can happen even today as our spiritual friends, even spiritual guides, could misunderstand and bring condemnation. I've had that happen. You probably have too. Much like Job's friends did in his own story. We can bring uh, condemnation because we don't understand. But as we see him say, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him, was this a promise? of the answer that she wanted? I don't really think so. I think that at the worst, and I'm, I'm uh, speculating here, that it might have been Eli just giving his blessing to get this crazy woman to leave. And that's kind of the bad part. But at best, it was the blessing that God always hears our prayers, and that's true. 
regardless of the way that he came across, Hannah's response here is what we want to remember. She went her way. Now, it says that her face was no longer sad. You all know, <laughs> if you're women, how incredibly hard it is to hide our feelings when we are in pain. Yet it says her face was no longer sad. And absolutely nothing had changed, had it? Not one thing had changed. I have said many times from my own experience in my life that the greatest miracle is not that God changes my situation, but that he changes me, my face, if you will, in the situation. Let me say that again. The greatest miracle is not that God changes my situation, but that he changes me in the situation. And when that happens, I'm thinking, whoa, that's a miracle, because I could not have done that. We do know from the word that Hannah was able to conceive. She did keep her word to give Samuel back to the Lord, not because of her bargain with God in which he kept his end of it. Her victory, ladies, was when she rose, having heard his voice and remembered who was enough. Even if there were no pregnancy, have you found him to be enough even if? It's been over 15 years ago that I heard that same question. I remember exactly where I was. Joe and I were leading a marriage retreat at Camp Tejas. It was a particularly challenging time for us as parents as we watched our young adult son struggle with depression and drugs, his way of coping with his pain. I had prayed every prayer I knew. I had claimed every promise in his word. I had pounded on heaven's door every morning. I reminded God of the prayer of dedication that, like Hannah, I had dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord. Hannah's words on a plaque in my prayer room. Still, there was no change. But as I looked out over the sea of women's faces that evening, I saw pain and maybe a glimpse of hope that I could share some encouragement with them. I had talked with many of the women, and they were struggling as well. But as I sat there and looked at their faces, I distinctly heard this voice. And you know when you've heard it. Colleen, what if David never changes? I gulped. Surely you don't mean that, Lord. Silence. And then again. What if David never changes? Am I enough? Because if I'm not, you have no business being in front of these women. Yes, ladies, he has been. He is now, and he always will be. The journey has been a long one. <laughs> if it gives you any indication, David lives on a street called Marathon. And it has been that. But in chapter 2, we look out, we look that she is praising, she is breaking out in praise and song, even, even after she has given up the child that she desired. I was amazed in studying this at how much this sounds like Mary's Magnificat in Luke 2, 
after she was told by the angel that she would carry the Messiah. Isn't God's word amazing? To have such insignificant women pray such incredible prayers and songs to be remembered throughout history. The other thing that struck me in this song was this theme of what I call upside-downism. The Holy Spirit had given her the capacity to see things from God's point of view. God doesn't work through strength, but weakness. God works with the excluded, the insignificant. Her words foreshadowed the Messiah, the anointed one who comes in lowliness and weakness. Ladies, I want to look now, though, at chapter 3. We're going to go back to the praise song here at the end, but I want to look at chapter 3 because Hannah's influence is all over this chapter, even though her name is never mentioned. I believe her influence is most assuredly there. You and I both know that after Samuel was born, she knew the day was coming when she would be taking him back to the temple to be taken care of by the priest Eli. Someone whose parenting skills, according to scripture, had not been the most effective with his own sons who were extremely wicked, even to the point of leading God's people into sin. This was not like dropping him off at camp, ladies. <laughs> As a mother, can you even imagine doing this? Giving up the baby that you had petitioned so strongly for? Putting him in the hands of this elderly priest? I can imagine the urgency she must have felt to prepare him to be raised by someone else. Don't you know as she bathed him, nursed him, changed those diapers, that she spoke the word over him, prayed for his protection, loved him tenderly and gently to communicate God's goodness. And I'm going to stretch it here because I believe that she apparently taught him to obey because he called. When God called, as he came to Eli three times, he did hear God's voice, and he obeyed. He had been taught to help others. It does say in chapter 2 that Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child. We can imagine that she knew her hands-on influence in his life would be temporary, but her influence in prayer, as we all do, would be eternal. And I believe with all my heart that because she had learned to hear God's voice herself, she prayed earnestly for Samuel to begin to hear God's voice very early. Young mamas, if we have any out there and, and uh, out there in the, in the home groups, we can take a lesson from her. Never underestimate the influence you have over your babies and your toddlers. Their hearts are tender. They can begin to recognize God's voice early as you teach and train and pray with them. While we are doing this daily, exhausting, mundane work of caring for our children, rocking them, soothing their cries, especially those littles who can totally wear us out, we can take comfort in the fact that we are impacting the kingdom of God right where we are, just as Hannah influenced, think about this, an entire nation and did kingdom work while caring for her son even for that short period as i tell young women and i'll include us older women and grandmothers at the, uh, all the time your calling is a holy one i believe hannah's greatest desire since she had learned to hear god's voice was that samuel would also 
In chapter 3, we see that it was Eli who finally realized it was God calling Samuel, but I believe it was his mother's prayers, Samuel's mother's prayers, who prepared his heart to hear in the first place. We can be encouraged that a mother's godly prayers bear great weight. As James says, the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man slash woman avail much. In concluding, I want to say that as Hannah's song foreshadowed the events thousands of years later, we see King David at the end of chapter 22, end of uh, 1 Samuel 1, chapter 22, we see him looking back. We see him looking back at the amazing grace that he has experienced at the hand of the Almighty. Ladies, as I look back on my own 70 plus years, I have found him to be the only one who is enough. I have found him to be enough by the bedside and the graveside. I found him to be enough in a hospital room and in a courtroom. I found him to be enough in depression and in addictions. I found him to be enough in dementia, divorce, and a jail cell and on a mission field, and yes, in anxiety and infertility. As we wrap this up this morning, I'd like for us to stand and find that song that she prayed in chapter 2, and let's read Hannah's prayer, and then I will close us in prayer. Y'all ready? This is a praise that we can just, we, you can praise God, you can, you can worship Him as we close, and then I'll close in prayer. My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumble are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven. And she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. Strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we just praise you because you are enough. Father, I trust that you have this message for women here that have struggled with that. 
I know that many of us struggled with, are we enough? Can we be enough? Can we do enough? Oh, but Father, you are so much enough. You are more than enough. And I pray that this message would find its way into the hearts of women who struggle with that. That you are enough in every situation. There is no pit that you are not greater still. Everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness is in Christ Jesus. So, Father, we offer our, our weakness up. We offer it to you to use, to be used by you, to give you glory, to let you reverberate through our world right now that you are enough in every situation. So it's in your son's name that I pray, and it's for your glory. Amen.